Happy Friday and happy Easter, Mike Broom. Yeah, I was just going to say the same to you. Do you have big plans for Easter? Uh, church, family, you know. That's awesome. That really is. That's very That's very cool. Did you? Yesterday I talked about this. Did you hear that our friends over at Hickman Family Farms donated 54,000 eggs to St. Mary's Food Bank so families wow. could have Easter? Isn't that cool? That's awesome. Yeah, I just found that out yesterday and was talking about it. That's, that's pretty amazing. That's incredible. Yep. Yes, it there. is. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Happy Good Friday. Uh, we've got so much ground to cover. 835, we are going to talk about uh, gas prices with Gas Buddy. Patrick DeHaan from Gas Buddy will join us. We're going to talk about the gas prices, the fuel prices in Arizona, why they're so high. Will they continue to be this high? How long? When do we expect them to cap off? All of those things. If you're a small business owner or someone that's very concerned about fuel prices, Patrick is the expert. He'll join us at 835. Um, I'm going to start. Uh, let me start. Let me back up. I want to start with um, the great news. Um, everything that you would hope that first pitch would be, it was yesterday. It's all over. I've shared it from uh, KTAR.com. You can see it. It is an amazing 45-second video of the introduction of Tyler Maldivan. He's there with his wife. Um, the For this man, after what he endured, and for the people that have heard some of the, the horrible details of this, for what he has endured, for him to be able to stand up out of that chair and throw a pitch, which, by the way, went across the plate. I've done that before. It's not easy. It is not easy to stand in front of people like that and pray that you don't bounce it up there. But uh, Tyler Maldivan threw out the first pitch yesterday at the Diamondbacks home opener, and uh, it truly was something for the ages. I-, I will tell you that a lot of times those things are self-serving, and you know I've been asked to throw out a first pitch, and nobody cared. You know They just wanted to get to the game. It was important to me. It meant a great deal to me that I was asked to do it. It was a thing I'd love to do, but it wasn't like the fans were on their feet to watch me throw out the first pitch. Not the case yesterday. Um, everybody in attendance was on their feet, and the roar of that crowd rivaled the roar in that crowd when Luis Gonzalez made the hit that won the World Series back in 01, or 03, I'm sorry, 01, 01. Um, and I will say that uh, it was an important moment for the Valley, I think that for, and I'm, I can't put myself in their shoes, but um, for the family of Tyler Maldivan, um I would imagine for them to feel the embrace of that crowd. I'm sure they have had an outpouring of support from all over the community. But to stand on that field, I want you to hear this. This was uh, this is what it sounded like last night. Officer Baldivant returns to Chase Field after nearly a year and a half of intensive rehabilitation, accompanied by his wife Chelsea and D-Max legend Luis Gonzalez. He is here to throw out tonight's ceremonial first pitch. D-Max fans, please help us welcome and show our support for Officer Tyler Moldovan. applause for a true hero, Officer Tyler Moldovan. That was a moment. Um, it brings it brings tears to my eyes listening to it. Um, so it was a great moment. Uh, it was a great moment for the Valley. A lot of times those events tend to be almost... Um, like you are uh, you're parading something around for you know what I mean for your own selfish it wasn't at all this was all about Tyler Maldivan his wife his family and those people in the community uh, just thanking him for his service and it was great it was an amazing moment um 
So I started there because I wanted to start with the greatness of I think this is the greatness of who we can be as people. I, I think that we understand at least instinctively, we understand what this family is going through. Um, everybody who is a loved one of a first responder um, fears that phone call or that knock at the door. When it comes and you're not sure how bad it is, terrifying. Um, and then to find out when this happened, how horrible it was, um, what this family has done is nothing short of miraculous. And it was c- very cool for them to come out because I think it was as much for the crowd as it was for the Maldivan family. I think we've heard it and in the Valley, we respect what law enforcement, I would say first responders. I don't want to leave out the dangers that first responders in the fire department face. Um we understand what they face on a daily basis, and when we hear the horrible stories of injuries or deaths, uh, we mourn those as well. So to be able to share a moment like that, the community and the Maldivan family, was pretty incredible. I-, I thought it was an amazing moment. So I started there because I wanted to start with what is best of us, I, I think. Um, but I don't understand – And I don't want to convolute the two, but what I have to start the show off is talking about this judge not taking any action on this Aaron Gunches case. Now, this is not a decision by a judge, in my opinion, based on whether or not the warrant should be enforced. It's whether or not this judge has the authority to force the governor's hand. And the judge seems to believe that he does it. And that is a very that's an issue in our government that we have to be very careful with. And I I, I know that if you're a family member, you gotta pull yourself away because your emotions you want and you deserve justice. And but for everybody else, we have to understand that there is a brilliance to the separation of powers. Can the judicial branch force the executive branch to act on something. Um, And that, to me, is a big issue. This is going to be very difficult for our governor to just explain away. Um, She's not talking about it. She's had representatives talking about it. Um, This is uh, Governor Hobbs' representative talking about this and talking to the victim's families. I'd like to take a moment, Your Honor, if I may, um, to convey to Ms. Price, Ms. Kay, and their families on behalf of Governor Hobbs and the director um, our sincere condolences for the unspeakable loss that they've suffered and the pain that we know they continue to live with. We see them, we feel for them, and we feel for every Arizonan who's a victim of a crime. So when, when, when there is a shooting that happens and people on the right side of the aisle offer thoughts and prayers and people on the left side of the aisle are furious that we're tired of your thoughts and prayers. The governor didn't even come to this event. That was not the governor speaking. That was a representative of the governor's office. I just think that is bad form. I hate to always be the one because she's on the other side of the political aisle. It's not about that at all. This is about um, when you're an authority, when you're the leading figure, you do it yourself. And uh, the fact that I don't, and I believe I'll be, I'm going to go even further. I believe 
that those words were sincere. I, I believe them to be sincere. I don't think that the governor is callous or heartless. I just think she's wrong on this issue. And I think she knows she's wrong on this issue. She's caught between a rock and a hard place. This guy wants the death penalty to be carried out. He's asked for it multiple times. He's asked for a, a transfer to Texas, which is never going to happen because Texas carries out the death penalty. Um, and so the, the, the warrant expires. There's nothing that's done about it right now. The judge says, I don't know that I have the authority or believe I have the authority to force the governor to enforce this warrant. And so we are where we are. But the way you handle situations matters to people. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of examples of this happening during the uh, the big steroid era in baseball. The baseball players that uh, there was one of them in particular that stood up in court and said, I've never done this and I've never done that. And and yelled and screamed and pounded his fist on the desk. And then he tested positive for steroid use. Those kinds of people in the uh, court of public opinion have done the exact same thing as others uh, that come out and said, you know what? I did it. I was wrong. I cheated. And I'm never going to do it again. They were forgiven, back on the field, and they moved on with their life. It's the way you handle things at times. And I just don't think this is being handled the right way by the governor's office. What they are doing, and and they're, they're probably right to a certain degree, what they are doing is counting on the fact that let the dust settle. They will move on to something else. There's going to be a lot of noise for a couple of days. There's going to be a lot of people talking about it. But if you don't respond, it will go away faster. And that is a move that PR people advise. I have a very close friend um, named Rob who always used to wisely say, if you've done nothing wrong, you have no reason to defend yourself. If you've done something wrong, you have no right to defend yourself. Either way, shut up. Just be quiet about it. And uh, if that's the tactic they are taking, it probably will die down faster. Uh, I just don't think it's the right way to handle it. If you are the governor of the state... And you have to make in your mind a decision that is going to be unpopular with people that are already suffering. And that's what these victims are. You face it and you say to them, I understand how you feel and I am sorry for what's happened to your family. But I cannot in good conscience under the conditions of what's happening right now allow this to move forward. And I hope you understand. And you at least face that music. It, it, I just think there's a level of respect there, even if disagreement, there's a level of respect there that people understand and say, you know what, it, you know, it, I don't agree with the convictions, but she sure stands up for what her beliefs are. I just don't I don't agree with her. And when you do stuff like this, when you send out a representative to make an apology on your behalf, something this important, people will remember that, especially if it becomes a trend. If you're only in front of the cameras for the victories and and, and waving to the crowd when you think you've done something very, very good and it's not controversial, and then you hide, and hide's a strong word, you don't come out and show your face to everybody when they disagree with you, people will remember that. And I I hope this is not going to be a trend because the governor will end up alienating a lot of people if this continues. Coming up in a moment, uh, Patrick DeHaan joins me. He's the head of the petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy. We are going to talk about Arizona fuel prices, when they are going to or how high they might go and when they may level off. That's all coming up here in just a couple of moments. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Thanks for being here. Uh, you know, Arizona was at third and now maybe fourth highest gas prices in the Valley here in, in, in the country. Uh, it's part of the blend that we use, and we know some of the details. But when we want answers when it comes to fuel. We go to the people at Gas Buddy, especially Patrick DeHaan. He joins us now. Welcome back to the show. Good to be with you. Let's talk about Arizona and fuel prices. People are very concerned with the climbing prices. How long is it expected that these prices will continue to climb, or are they leveling off? Well, uh, they are, do seem to be leveling off for now, at least knock on wood. The average in Phoenix only up two cents a gallon in the last week, but it's still pretty lofty at about four fifty-eight a gallon. The statewide average is up still about six cents from a week ago. Tucson is uh, up about nine cents, so it looks like the eastern half of the state may continue to inch up, but it looks like Phoenix for now may be slowing down, but that doesn't mean it's over. I would uh, hold my breath here. Uh, we have made a transition to the next step uh, towards that transition to clean burning gasoline in Arizona. Things may start to ease up, though, as these requirements are shifting to the rear view, um, getting on one type of gasoline, or I should say two across the state of Arizona in the month of April, should help tone things down. But a little bit of a wild card, a couple of the refineries in Texas and New Mexico that feed into the Phoenix market are going to start or have started maintenance. So uh, kind of collective breath holding until the maintenance is done. We still could inch up a little bit, but I'm hopeful that that, you know, by the next three to four weeks, uh, we'll start to see prices subside. We've been told that part of the issue is the the blend that we use. The other part is refining it, as you just alluded to. But they also say there was a delivery issue. Is there a delivery issue as well? There's not really a delivery issue. What you probably heard is that there's just not enough pipeline capacity to bring in that CBG, that Arizona blend of gasoline into the market. Um, the pipeline that connects Southern California refineries into Phoenix has been chock full. There's really no capacity. The other problem in the backdrop is think about the population explosion that Phoenix has been seeing in Maricopa County in the last couple of years, adding tens of thousands of, of new people that have cars and are filling up. So this is a problem that has happened last year. Now this year, something that may not go away as these uh, stringent requirements uh, are phased in every year in the month of March and April. Patrick DeHaan joins us. He's the head of petroleum analysis at Gas Buddy. Let's talk about diesel for a moment. Where are diesel in Arizona? Where are fuel prices and uh, where are they you know, in comparison to the rest of the country and what's happening with the price of diesel fuel? Well, diesel uh, has not seen the big jump in price that we've seen in gasoline. Uh, that's the good news. In fact, over the last uh, couple of months, uh, diesel prices have actually been inching down. Uh, that's where we find prices. Uh, well, they've inched up a little bit because of the overall trends here recently, but the national trend is diesel is down. In Arizona, the average for diesel now about $4.52 a gallon. And looking at Phoenix, the average for diesel uh, right about the same, uh, $4.54. Uh, but again, once this, uh, once the current issues are behind us, keep in mind there's even been companies hauling in gasoline as far away as Los Angeles because of the pipeline constraints, thus boosting some of the diesel consumption as well. But once we get out of this, I do expect diesel and gasoline to both subside. But uh, again, diesel's seen uh, quite a bit of improvement prior to these uh, prior to these recent issues with gasoline. The announcement by OPEC to uh, reduce production by a million barrels per day, what is that going to ultimately do, in your opinion, to fuel prices as a whole? 
Well, you know, I, I think taken in stride, uh, overall consumption has been a little bit weak this spring so far. Now, it is going up seasonally as temperatures warm up, spring break travel hits, Americans are getting out. But overall, I don't know if how much it's going to move the needle. Certainly some. Uh, oil prices did jump by about 7% on Monday after that kind of surprise announcement. There's a lot of wild cards to how much that squeeze or the drop in production is going to squeeze us, thinking especially about China as it reopens its economy. Demand has been a little sluggish there, so the wild card is really, will the Chinese economy start to gain momentum? That could mean OPEC's production cut is more noticeable in a decline in inventory. So stay tuned, but there was an initial big jump in the price of oil. That probably won't impact gas prices more than we've seen the refining issues and the gasoline transition issues in Phoenix. We are hearing that the Willow project was, was is moving ahead, and there are some other drilling projects in the Gulf of Mexico. Leases are going to be issued in the Gulf of Mexico. It seems as if the Biden administration is changing their policy somewhat on drilling. Uh, how soon will that affect the market, or will it at all affect the market? Well, to your point, it does seem like the Biden administration may be having a little bit of second thoughts, especially as OPEC cuts production. That's really the only thing to hold OPEC in check would be to boost U.S. oil production. The bad news on that is it's not going to impact prices potentially for years. Decisions that are made today uh, at the presidential level to restrict uh, oil or to allow oil production usually takes many years to manifest simply because of the nature of drilling new wells, getting that oil to the market. So the Willow Project probably not going to make an impact until that oil gets to the market, and that's going to take probably at least two to four years. When you look at the refining capabilities of the U.S., do we have enough of a capability to refine these products to turn it into the fuel we need, or are we, are we still facing a refining issue in the U.S.? Well, we have plenty of refining capacity for our country. The, the problem, as it turns out, is the U.S. is now supplying much of Europe because they've turned away from supplies from Russia. So the U.S. is really the world's largest producer, largest refiner, and we are turning into the world's uh, uh, the world is turning to us, rather, for some of this capacity, and a lot of our product is being exported now. In fact, last week, 80 million barrels over the last week were exported, both of oil and refined products. So we have enough refining capacity. The problem is exports are very brisk, and of course, that's a necessary evil for oil companies to continue producing and, and increasing output. But refining capacity is increasing, maybe not so much in the United States. It's up a little bit, but still below where it was in 2019. But we're seeing a lot of refining uh, capacity come online this year, including uh, a massive new facility in Nigeria that's supposed to come online, the Middle East, Asia. We're talking about millions of barrels, uh, probably a million and a half barrels being added to the global refining capacity this year. That will help ease some of the pressure on U.S. refineries. Patrick, it is always so good to talk to you because you have all the information we need on the topic. And I appreciate the time and I hope you'll come back. I absolutely will. Thanks for having me. All right. That is Patrick DeHaan, the head of petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy. It's a great resource for fuel prices around the world, and you can hear just a wealth of information. I think it's just great stuff. What we're going to do in a moment, as we always do, Gatos joins me. It's the big Q poll question of the day, and then we're going to shift to politics in the 9 o'clock hour. So please stick around. The Gatos Big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, happy Friday, Gatos. Oh, it is good Friday. It is. Uh, 
a, a strange day, a sad day, but a day that has to happen for Sunday to come. Yeah, so. this most uh, most sacred weekend for Christians around the world. Oh, yes, yes. What are you doing for Easter? Um, not doing much. I'm going to be out in uh, Saturday. I'm going to be out in Wickenburg. I got a big rodeo event out in Wickenburg, yeah. Arizona, Saturday. The rodeo. Yeah. Nice. It's, it's You're a bull riding. Road- yeah. It's the Challenge of Champions Tour bull riding in Wickenburg on Saturday. Uh, are you getting on a bull again? No, I'm not. I am going to be You're doing some. That. I'll be interviewing some that. of the bull riders. That's it. I'm doing in, in arena an- announcing. You're not going to get that uh, horn in the left cheek? No, I'm not. <laughs> those days those days are past me. Are those days over? You're still in good shape. You could still go do it. Well, the thing is, is they you don't hit the ground as hard or any harder. You just don't get up as fast. And that's, that's the, that is, that's the yeah. key to, that was the key to my rodeo career was that I could run faster scared than those bulls could mad. And I don't know right. that I can do that anymore. <laughs> All right. I don't want you to have an extra hole back there. I mean, I'm just saying. I don't want... I want you to be careful out there. Maybe you should just announce. That's all you need to do. That's all I need to do. All right. All right. So uh, here's the cue. Let's hear it. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. He is uh, facing criticism uh, for both sides of the political aisle for reportedly taking lavish vacations paid for by a a GOP mega donor. So I asked, did he do anything wrong? So, you know, Chad and I talked about this yesterday. Okay. Uh, what if you have a really rich friend and he's a really good friend? Right. And uh, the friend goes, listen, uh, you know, we're best friends. Use my yacht anytime. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can use it uh, anytime. It's uh, it's like me and you. Let's say that I had some lavish, wonderful place that right. uh, you could go on vacation. And I say, Mike, you know, you should go and use this. We're good friends. Right. See, I think that's one thing. But. He's not a normal person. Well, and are they required He's, to report these gifts? Well, I think the Supreme Court justices are, yeah. and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I understand that correctly, he didn't. So here's the thing. Why are you hiding it? Because if you're not telling people, then you know you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And if you're a Supreme Court justice, you got to be above all that. Now, listen, I don't know if other justices have done this before. I have no idea. Right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg could have taken all these. Pr- I, I have no idea. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. But I'll tell you, the optics of it stinks. It the does. optics of it is you're on the take. That's the optics of it. Yeah, I agree. And that's where it, they're supposed to be above reproach. You know, that actually that's happened right. to me. That's this has happened to me. Do you have time for a quick? Really? For instance. Oh. Yeah. Love story. So yeah. I'm I'm you know who Glenn Beck is. Oh yeah. Yeah, Glenn Glenn and I have been pretty close friends for for years now. I used to fill in for him and he was in town giving a speech and then he had to fly to DC for the weekend. And uh he said, "Hey, there's room on my plane. Why don't you why don't you fly with us to DC, hang out all weekend and then fly home commercial?" Now you're talking oh, about yeah. the biggest redneck in town and here I am, <laughs> never had flown first class, walking yeah. onto a private plane. I will tell you it is life-changing to fly private. I heard I have not been on a private plane, but I I have heard it is life changing. Oh. I totally would have taken that seat. Drive you right up to the plane. You hand your bag oh. to someone as someone else is oh. handing you a drink. Get on the oh. plane oh. and off you go. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. No, my no, been- no security lines. It's wow. amazing. Yeah. Your day was made. It, my day was made. Well, listen, man. Have a happy Easter. It's always good to talk with you, and I'm looking forward to talking to you Monday. Hey, happy Easter, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. That's Gatos. And the Big Q poll question today is brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Um, is the GOP on a losing streak? One prominent Republican says yes, and he can change it. Next.